Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to the latest edition of First Down Snapcast. I'm your host, Richard Butler. Tonight's a bit different. Our regular co-analyst, one is stuck in Paul and we know Wi-Fi, and the other two on work commitments. So I've been able to dial into some good friends over at Tailgate Trades and invited Dylan Reese James on tonight's show. And joining us from Jacksonville, Florida, we have got Greg Huntington. How is everyone doing? I'm doing great. Um, everything's great here in Jacksonville. A lot of excitement, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Yes, definitely. How are you doing, Dylan? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. So obviously Dylan represents Tailgate Traders on Facebook. One of the best places to go if you want any kind of merchandise, obviously. Could, if you want to explain a bit on that, Dylan, what you do over there just quickly. So, um, yeah, with Tailgate, we've been, um, as a group, we, we've raised the community uh, with a social media of about 4,000 people uh, on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. And we just started a YouTube channel. Um, so the YouTube channel, we've been lucky to to interview uh, Josh Scobie, Mike Hollis, um, Jason Bell. Um, so uh, some great, great players. And um, yeah, with um, we've started Tailgate Traders um, about six months ago um, to sell in uh, collectibles and um, cases and supplies for uh, people's cards needs so Excellent. yeah you can definitely say and you've done a lot of charity work as well which continues which is great for the community yeah the j- just i think it's um just over five thousand pound now so far uh for charity so um yeah yeah that's the we're we're we're, we're happy with uh how we've um progressed with that and we're obviously supporting a lot of uh, mental health 
uh, through the um, the community side as well. Yeah. So um, yeah, that's great. Very- and I think over the next few months we've got quite a few tie ups coming between our group and your group, so it's going to be yeah. really interesting. So yeah. excellent. Let's get into it. So Greg, um, doing a bit of reading up. So you went to Penn State, and in the in the draft you were taken by Washington in the sixth round during. Leading up to the draft, was there any interest for any other teams, what you were aware about, or was it just a bit of a surprise come draft invite was Washington? Um, no, but let, let me let me back up because you you mentioned my uh, my history of playing at Penn State, and I always yeah. tell everybody that I had two dreams growing up in life. Um, I wanted to play uh, football at Penn State, and at the time it was Coach Paterno, and I wanted to play for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And you might ask why. Well, my dad had gone to Penn State. His dad went to Penn State. My dad uh, cheered for um, the Steelers, which they were real dominant, obviously, back in the 70s and the 80s. Um, however, we migrated to Birmingham, Alabama, not Birmingham, England. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, the difference there. <laughs> big, big difference. So I, I grew up in the South. And if you know anything about the South here, there, you know, the, it's the Southeastern Conference football that is so good, you know, Alabama and Auburn. And here I was pulling for Penn State. But I always had that dream as a backdrop, play at Penn State, play for the Steelers. It was highly unlikely that I was going to make it from Birmingham, Alabama to Pennsylvania at that time. However, my dad gets transferred to Cincinnati, Ohio, and I end up going to an all-guys Catholic high school that had a dominant football team, and I ended up being captain my senior year, opened up the recruiting um, doors for me. I got recruited by just about everybody in the country, and as you can imagine, I, I, I signed immediately. I think I was like the second signee for Penn State, and so I was at Penn State from 88 to 92. I played on the offensive line. I actually started in three different positions, first at guard, uh, second at center, and then uh, tackle my senior year. Unfortunately, I wasn't – I didn't have the size to be a tackle in the NFL. So I ended up being drafted as a center slash guard. So leading up to what your question is concerning, did I expect to get a call from the Washington Redskins? I th- – there are t- some teams that will show interest. You know, you go to the NFL combine, you sit down. I really didn't have an idea. Um, it was actually uh, the fifth round, 128th overall. Um, I, I would have liked to think I would have been a higher draft choice, and I probably would have been if I had started at center, at the center position for two years instead of playing tackle my senior year. But that, that was what was best for the team. So, Draft day came and went, and it wasn't, I guess it was the Monday afterwards where they got into the fifth round and I got a call from the Redskins, which was neat. And for me, you know, that was 1993, and that was the very first year of the collective bargaining agreement that allowed players to be, you know, free agents. Um, So you had some guys moving around, but I came to a Redskin team that had won Super Bowls in the 80s and then just won one in 91. And so I came to a team that had a lot of established veterans, <laughs> which made life interesting for a rookie. Yeah. You say that about, I was just, obviously Washington was my dad's team growing up. And obviously you joined them in 93. Like I said two years after the Super Bowl when you're 91. Right. Um, what were your emotions when you arrived in DC? Obviously a lot of veterans and legends there as you spoke. Was it a bit of a, an awe moment when you saw some of the players or was it? Yeah. Like- it was definitely an awe moment because, you know, here I am, how old was I? Maybe 22 at that point in time. 
Um, cause I was that kind of younger. I mean, I'd started at Penn state at 17. So I was always one of those guys that, that was like younger than most. So here I am going to a team where you have guys that have played together for 10, 15 years. In some cases, Daryl green, Monty Coleman, Joe Jacoby, Jim Lachey, Charles Mann, Mark Rippon. Uh, I mean, the list goes on and on and you, you do, I mean, and that things have changed quite a bit since I played. It was kind of the atmosphere. Don't speak unless spoken to, <laughs> you know, cause you got to remember it's a 53 man roster. So any rookie coming on is a threat to somebody's job, right? Yeah. So you, you, you just have to, you know, earn your dues and then eventually you get accepted into the fold. You get invited to things like maybe a couple adult beverages after practice and the, in the maintenance shed with the old guys and listen to them talk, but it was definitely, um, it was definitely an awe moment for sure. Yeah. Was there any like any initiations? Like obviously you hear about sometimes players have initiations when they go and obviously being a rookie, being the young guy, was there any kind of ritual or anything you had to do once you arrived? Yeah. Um, and I can't recall it all exactly, but um, you were responsible, you know, at least one time during the season or twice to buy donuts, buy milk, buy orange juice and have it all laid out and, and ready that, you know, the older guys can go get before they go into meetings. Um, now, there was, they also, the veterans, I learned the hard way in training camp, and we had our training camp up in Pennsylvania. Um, that they had their own locker room and that the rookies had a separate locker room with no air conditioning, but the, the, the veterans had air conditioning. Well, I made the mistake when I arrived at camp by walking into the veteran locker room and I got cursed all the way out the front door. Um, during camp, the veterans would hold what they call kangaroo court. And if any rookie did anything that was misperceived as being, uh, you know, disrespecting veterans, well, you got put on trial. Um, and it was obviously a kangaroo court, but it, it, it was fun. I mean, so there was a little hazing. I'm not sure that goes. I mean, you know, and then a lot of times you'd be responsible during the season for picking up the tab for uh, a dinner with the offensive unit. Yeah, you can imagine. I know we have a lot of rituals in events over here and stuff, and you can, you can imagine it's going. I can imagine it's even changed now since you were a player as well. They're probably even worse, and they're all social media related nowadays. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I would have survived uh, you know, back in the eighties and early nineties with social media. No, I can't imagine if like TikTok and stuff was around back then. Oh, oh be, <laughs> some of the players wouldn't even be wouldn't have even made rosters. I don't think. <laughs> So that inaugural season for you, Greg, in Washington, I think you became active about week six or seven in the season. And the Washington were a bit of a shade of the 91 Super Bowl side and a bit of a losing record. What, coming into your first start, was the pressure put on you being a rookie and the added intensity of not being a winning team at the point? Like there was even more pressure than normal or was it just sort of just go out there and play? We know you can do it kind of yeah. thing. So you're right. You know, here they won the Super Bowl in 91 and still pretty much intact as a team in 93. And our actually our first game of that season was against the Cowboys on Monday night and they were defending world champs and we handled them. And so I'm thinking in my mind, I'm already spending my playoff money. thinking, <laughs> And it, it just then it just spiraled out of control. And we ended up being four and 12. And 
it's never fun being on a four and 12 team. Okay. It's just inevitable that, you know, people aren't going to put forth the same level of effort They people don't want to get injured. Um, however, it did open up opportunities for me to play more than normal because, you know, I would get thrown into games that we were losing and things like that. And I remember, um, I think it was the last game of the season we were playing the Minnesota Vikings. And because I was a rookie, I just, I mean, I didn't have knowledge of everybody in the NFL. Well, I ended up having to play against John Randall. Um, you know, he was a defensive tackle for the Vikings and I, he was probably one of the best defensive tackles in the league. I mean, he was just, and because of my naivety, my ignorance, if you will, not knowing who John Randall, I ended up having a pretty good game against him because I didn't know, I didn't know to be worried, you know? So, um, yes, that, that was kind of the rookie season for me. Um, you just, you eventually, um, rise to the level of the NFL players that you're playing with. You get over that. Um, am I good enough to be here and play and just give it your all? And it usually works out. Yeah, like I said it. We I've spoke, spoke to a few players before, and the jump from everyone says, "Oh, it's not a massive jump," but it is a big jump from college to NFL. As the level just changed instantly, because you've got a rookie. Don't, unless you're normally a quarterback, you don't go in straight away. You've got to build up to that first game. It's not instantly straight in unless you've injuries and Fred Bear squad. So, yeah, and two, for, especially for offense alignment, because there's still uh, a lot of growth that can happen size-wise um you know you you, I, you know I when I when I left college I was probably 275 pounds and I get to mini camp and they say to me look Greg you, you got to get bigger and so by the time I showed up for camp I was like 310 and yeah I, I look like John Candy the actor um <laughs> but and I eventually, I eventually found, you know, my, I, I eventually grew into that in terms of the strength and conditioning. Um, and so for linemen, I think there's a, a more of a, a curve, uh, if you will, um, to participate right away as compared to some of the skill positions, like a receiver or a running back. Now, you do have guys like I played with, like Tony Baselli, who is like right out of the box, good. You know, he, there wasn't any curve for Tony. He just started off good and, and remained good. And he should be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, he's definitely, Dylan will definitely agree with yeah, that. Yeah, definitely. Because he nodded Yeah, yeah. I, I was reading through some of your moments in that first season, Greg, and I noticed you played in probably one of the craziest games ever in a 3-0 defeat to the Jets. Now, that's a very unknown, but yeah. a score finish 0-3. Was it that, a game that, of... Was it a game of just like everyone was the defense was just canceling each other out and it was just that one opportunity? <laughs> yeah, it must have been that both offenses were good and you know the defenses were you know I I do remember that game uh, very much so and because uh, I remember watching Jeff Logaman um, as a defensive end for the Jets you know he was a first rounder and then eventually obviously Jeff was here in Jacksonville with me and he still remains in the city as well and he's 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 a really good guy. So, in 1994, you didn't play for for the Washington Redskins. Um, So, before we get on to our next bit, in your time in Washington, was there any moments which stood out for you and you still remember to this day of, like, career highlights in Washington? Well, you know, again, I was still a rookie, um, reserve lineman. Um, Like, the the moment that I described to you, um, playing that whole second half against the Vikings. and, And, you know, now that I think about it, 
Jack Del Rio was the, a linebacker for the Vikings at that time, who obviously then took over for Tom Coughlin as the coach. Um, so it was that plus, um, you know, being around those legends. I mean, you know, Charles Mann had Coke commercials. I mean, they're, you know, I, so it was, it was, it was a neat experience to go to a, a storied franchise like the Redskins in 94. I did. I'll just explain why I, was, I sat out in 94. It was by choice. Um, you know, I had pulled a hamstring going into my rookie or my, my second training camp with the Redskins. I'd never pulled a hamstring before. And anybody who's pulled a hamstring knows you, you can't, you can't play football. Um, no. So I struggled in camp, but I eventually healed up and I rallied back and it really came down to a numbers and it, in the NFL, it's 53. And so an offensive line, you have, you'll have your five starters and then you'll have at least two backups and maybe a third if they want to carry a third, but if they have injuries elsewhere, usually that third kind of backup is going to get paired away. Um, and it ended up being a numbers game. So the last cut in the NFL is always four guys. So I made it to the, I, I got to the last cut and it got cut. Um, and then I decided in my mind, I can't play football forever. So I devised a business plan with a guy I went to college with about starting a temporary, uh, temporary labor industry, if you will, or uh, office. And I figured, Hey, I'll go sign with one of the new expansion teams, either the, the Jaguars or uh, the Panthers. So I was, you know, halfway through that 94 season. It's amazing. I get a call from the Vikings because remember I had, a, I played well against the Vikings. Well, they bring me in and they want to sign me that day. <laughs> and here I have this business plan about, you know, I already moved the ball down the field and I'm in Dennis Green's office, the coach at the time. And I'm like, give me 24 hours to think about it. He say, you're either on the practice field this afternoon. Or I'm going to put you on a plane and send you home. So Believe it or not, I went home and I and the same thing happened with the, the Green Bay Packers. The interesting thing about when I worked out for the Packers was Mark Burnell was the backup quarterback in Green Bay. He actually came over and took snaps from me. But at that point in time, I was very determined that I was going to wait. I'm going to hold out, um, which, you know, that cost you pension years. It cost you salary um, to start a business and. I signed, you know, I was one of the original 10. You probably are going to get into some of that. I was one of the original 10 players signed because each of the expansion teams could sign 10 street free agents. So I signed my contract here December 15th, 1994. And then I'm the first guy to move into town. And I start this business and then I get on the radio show with Lex and Terry, who they were popular hosts back here. So I really, um, I, I became somewhat known in the city because I was like the only guy here and, <laughs> Uh, but then, you know, obviously they had the expansion draft and they had the rookie draft, which formed our first team, which was 1995. Yeah. So you mentioned that. So now we're getting on to the new part of this is part of Dylan's going to be really interested in this one. So 1995, you're part of the inaugural season and the original 10 in Jacksonville. You mentioned that you were one of the first guys there. How did it feel? And obviously you pre-mentioned that you're always going to think about joining one of these new teams. How did it feel to actually be part of the expansion and the growth in a new area to sport? Well, it, it was it was very unique. I mean, and you could tell that the the fans of this city um, were were just so excited to have an NFL team. I mean, Jacksonville is and uh, is a smaller market, um, and a lot of times it gets frowned upon by by the national kind of media, but. 
One thing I can say about our fan base is that they're absolutely resilient. Um, And, you know, and I'll get back to your initial question about the first year, but, you know, for the past two decades, we've really been in the doldrums other than 2017, which seemed like an anomaly. It came out of nowhere. Um, But the fans have always remained strong and behind us. And I always, you know, I always go out of my way to make sure the fans feel appreciated. Because at the end of the day, if, if we didn't have fans, we'd just be playing a game of pickup football. It's the fans that make the game great. So going backwards to the inaugural day and, and opening up that new stadium, and I think Boys to Men did the national anthem, and we, had, we always have a flyover because 25% of our population here is military, the Navy. So we have flyovers and all that good stuff. And it was just so, it was just so electric. And it was so neat being a part of, of, of something new like that. And that, and, and that feel, those feelings continue because again, it's not like living in Washington, DC or Chicago, you know, where those are huge cities where you just get lost in the minutia, but here, um, you know, you're kind of, we're, we're kind of still held up, you know, people go, Hey, when we need you back. And it's like <laughs> 20 years later. And I just had hip surgery in January. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I, I don't have any plays left in me. Uh, it's definitely it's crazy. Like I say you mentioned there about going into the community and stuff. Was there a lot of work done by the players in the inaugural couple of seasons to get the fans bought who weren't bought in bought into it? Obviously, I know there was a lot of intake anyway because they wanted a team. But was there that we need to get more fans, get them all the community in, and a bit of a drive by the inaugural group of players? Yeah, so that's a great point because there's a contrast or a difference between the players today, and it's it's probably specific. I mean, this probably applies to all the NFL teams, whether it's because the money has become so much more um, or because of social media. um, I don't see the same level of of involvement of the players today in the community. Uh, We, we were involved in the community, not just to, you know, uh, increase our fan base we we were in the community because we wanted to give back to the community i think it's so important like whether we went to middle schools or high schools and and did talks and things like that i think it's so important to share your uh, pattern of success and hopefully that can help somebody else that's you know coming up behind you or has different type of dreams and how they may achieve those dreams yeah it's definitely you you, because if you talk about teams with no fans and stuff. You look at the situation with the Chargers. They keep moving around. They haven't really got a community. And then you have teams like the Rams who were settled in St. Louis and they get dragged away from their loyal fan base and they're now rebuilding again. Right. It's all about protecting your guys. And obviously we talk about Jacksonville. They never pull the question, will they come to England? But it's you feel for the get. We're very lucky to get Jacksonville coming over maybe once, twice a year. Right. But it's their community back in Jacksonville who lose them games. And you do get a lot of loyal, loyal fans who come over, but it, they're losing two, one, maybe two home games a season of their team. And you don't play 20 games a season at home. Right. Yeah, I, I, I think people had a tolerance for one game um, in London, but then when they were talking about two, <laughs> like, wait a second now. I mean, now we're only going to have six home games now. They did change. I think every other year now we have a, an extra home game. Yeah. Um, so 
So at this year we have nine. So, you know, one game in London, that means we'll have obviously eight here. So uh, that's, that's fine. And that, I mean, ultimately I, I like it because you're, you're expanding your fan base in one respect. I mean, you know, I, I mean, I can't speak for over there in England in terms of how many percentage of people actually consider their NFL team, the Jaguars, or even how much interest there is in the NFL. I know that obviously soccer is huge, um, but yeah, so we'll see. It's a brave new world um, in, in terms of going forward, but you know, they do, people do talk about us, you know, the Jaguars leaving Jacksonville. I, you know, I think that's more talk than anything. I, don't, I think Shad Khan is determined to make the team successful and keep it here in Jacksonville. Yeah. Um, so the NFL obviously grew in the UK in the 80s. We like Washington, Chicago and Miami. But I think Dylan can confirm. I think Jacksonville are quickly closing up on the nation's favourite team, aren't they? Yeah. 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 It's quite a strong um, fan base. Yeah. Um, it's quite a few of um, my friends um, that have started a group here with, I think, three or four hundred uh, UK members. Um, interested in the merchandise and the stories and um, things like that. But yeah, it's definitely strong fan base. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Good, good, good to know. <laughs> and, yeah, we, and I said, we love the game. And we're, we're privileged to get any team to come over and play. So yeah. we've got two yeah. games this year. A lot of people are upset because it's down from previous, but it's, we, we're very privileged because when they said about soccer moving to the USA to play one game, there was absolute uproar. <laughs> In the UK, so, <laughs> yeah. so for us to get two games of a national sport of another country, it's an absolute privilege, and we love the Jacksonville Jacksonville Jaguars coming over. So going up into that first game for Jacksonville as a new franchise team, what were the emotions like, not just for yourself, but the whole team in that first home game? Yeah, like I said before, I mean, it was it was electric. Um, it was exciting. I'm sure it was pretty hot, as it always is at that point in time. But we did it, the heat didn't bother us because you were just riding on the waves uh, of emotion. And you know, the, again, going back to the fan base, you know, you know, obviously the University of Florida, um, not too far away, they have a lot of fans in Jacksonville. So it's it's it, I mean, it really is a football it's a football town. Um, even though you don't have a major university that has a, a football the other than the Florida Gators. So they were, I mean, they already were charged up as football fans in general. Um, and in our stadium too, I mean, at, at that time, I mean, we were like 80,000 plus, which isn't common for an, an NFL stadium because we also have the Florida Georgia game or Georgia, Florida, depending on what team you root for. Um, that thing was packed. Uh, and, and people would sit out in the blazing sun and watch us, um, yeah. even though we went four and 12. And then obviously the second season, whether it was a fluke or not, but we get on a run. Next thing you know, we're in the AFC championship against the um, the Patriots. Yeah, I, I won't, obviously I'm a, I'm a New England fan, so I won't go on to that. But the two times Jacksonville have got through, it's obviously New England who have stopped now. Just want to go, I just want to show this before we go in. Yeah. It's the that's yep. the ticket from the very first game, <laughs> the home game, anyway. <laughs> yes, that is correct. Yep, against the Oilers. Yeah, the, start of, the start of a new franchise against the dev- devolution of an old franchise. <laughs> yeah. So here, this. 
<laughs> I mean, you can see how old, the, old the technology is. I You're mean, being the, Trump now, Dylan. <laughs> the, uh, the technology in the helmets now is incredible. Uh, they're yeah. designed, they're lighter, but they have better uh, strength and they have like the technology that that will record data. But this is this is my helmet from the Jaguars. It's very um, warm. <laughs> so I thought I'd show that. You can see, you know, That's like amazing. you can see this stuff. We, you know, wow. often, you know, so obviously there's a lot of stuff that they're talking about today about the head trauma and i think they're they're making some moves to help reduce that i mean obviously you're never going to reduce that completely and um people have to play at their own their own, their own level of risk i know i'd go back and do it all over again yeah not that you asked that question i just threw it in there uh, you know, that might be on my list you never know <laughs> well, cross it off, cross it off. <laughs> so obviously greg i know I spent the time in Jacksonville and then you went off to Chicago, but I want to keep with the theme of Jacksonville. You're still in Jacksonville now after your football career. Obviously still a big follower of the Jags. Did you still get into work with the Jacksonville, like community work still, even though it's 20 years, like I said, since you're a Jaguar? Yeah, we have what's called the Jaguar Ambassador Program. So there's probably 20 or 30 of us um, from previous teams that live here in Jacksonville. And the Jaguar ambassador program is mainly for game day where, you know, we get logoed shirts. Uh, we get credentials where we can pretty much just go everywhere in the stadium we want. I mean, we can't get into the locker room and all that stuff, but, um, and we get to take a guest. So, and they'll have, they'll have a moment before kickoff, like an hour or two before where we, we have a designated area where we sign um, autographs for fans, which I think is really cool. And then, were assigned like three suites during the game to go in and basically say, thank you. Appreciate you being a fan because, you know, it's sales and marketing because these people like the company I work for, we had a suite and it was like $125,000 for a suite just to, just to have the rights to the suite. Then you had to, you have to buy the tickets for the suite, the parking pass for the suite and the food. Um, so people are putting out a lot of money. So we would go say thank you. But at the same time, if there are things in the community that let's say a current player may not be able to do, or they're not in town, they'll ask former players such as myself uh, and, and go and do certain events um, or speeches and things like that. So you stole one of my questions there, but you'd go back and do it again. If you went back again, would you go back as a center or would you want to go back as a tackle? Well, from your, from your senior I, year. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, my life is not my own, even, you know, obviously in college, I mean, to be moved from the center position to the tackle position, the reason that was done is because our coach knew that I had good feet as a lineman. And the previous year we'd given up too many sacks from the outside. Well, so, you know, Paterno makes the decision that for what's best for the team. I'm going to move Huntington out to tackle because he'll be a better tackle for us and reduce sacks, um, which is great because, I mean, that's that's your job. You're there to, to achieve the goals of that team. Like I said, it didn't help me in the NFL draft because I was really drafted as – I was the third center taken in the draft. The first center was out of Michigan. He went in the first round. The second um, center was out of West Virginia. He went to the Patriots, and then I was – drafted as a center in the fifth round 
I really believe if I could have played center, started at center for two years at Penn State, I would have probably been in the top three rounds. But such is life. I mean, I can't go back and change it. But if I could, that would be the one thing. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. And Dylan, I'll hand over to you now. I know you've got a few bits you'd like to discuss and chat about. Yeah. um, So when you... um... When you joined the 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 Jags in 1995, what was um, were you ner- nervous of of the new franchise because of the lack of history? Obviously, we spoke about similarities uh, the the history that you had in um, with well, with the Redskins. Um, so, yeah, were, were you nervous? beforehand no no I there, there wasn't it was just the opposite it was more of excitement because you were you were going uh, to a place that was create creating something new now I, I get your point in the sense that you're not going to an established a uh, storied franchise like we've mentioned the, the the Redskins the Steelers the Bears um but that didn't I mean that really didn't bother me actually it it, it made it less nervous for me simply because Everybody was new to the team. Everybody was, in some respects, starting at zero, even though obviously your high draft choices and your free agents, your high signing free agents are pretty much guaranteed. Um, I just, I felt like there was, it really provided me more opportunity than maybe if I went to a team that was more established and, and, and veterans in front of me. Did, um, how, would, how did you find personally um, uh, Tom Coughlin? I've heard mixed stories. Yeah. So, um, you know, initially when I met Tom, he uh, was, he was very nice. And uh, I thought, Hey, this is going to be great. Um, (laughs) And then you learn very quickly once, you know, practices started or training camp that he was, um, you know, very much in, in, in control. I mean, you know, when he would make statements like this is not a democracy, which it's not, I mean, he's the head coach expected to get you to deliver. Um, but I'll give you, I'll give you my, uh, this will give you an idea of how, how Tom Coughlin was. Now you got to remember Tom Coughlin was, was under Bill Parcells, just like um, uh, Bill Belichick was. Uh, they were all under his coaching tree at some point in time. Um, and they were probably, they're cut from the same mold. They, they, they operate the same way, which is typically through negative reinforcement, meaning you're never praised for the good things. That's you're expected to do that. You're only <laughs> the, the negative stuff, the stuff that gets brought up. So, you know, Tom wanted us to be as linemen. He wanted us to be 300 pounds plus, which makes sense, right? At that point in time in the league, guys were 315, 320. I mean, and, but at the same time, he wanted us to have 18% body fat. Well, you know, that's not easy to do get bigger, but try to stay leaner. And when you lose, literally I could lose 10 to 12 pounds in water weight in a practice in this heat and humidity. You know, when I would walk off the practice field, sweat would literally bubble out of my cleats as if I had walked in puddles. That's how much you sweat. So I was struggling to get past the 300 mark, you know, whereas in Washington, 310, I was, I maintained 310 fairly easily because of the climate, right? Um, Here was more of a challenge for me. And so we're at the beginning of practice and we're doing our stretching and I'm laying on my back and a guy's stretching my hamstring like that, right? You know, the hamstring stretch. Well, Tom comes over and this is typical Tom. 
He's always got a conversation going on in his head internally. He looks down at me with that scowl. And he looks at the guy stretching me. He goes, you know, Huntington should be 300 pounds, but he's 295 because he wants to look pretty for the ladies. <laughs> that was Tom. Like, I'd be in the hallway, and he'd be like, you know, because we would do the shotgun snap. He goes, Huntington, your snaps are here. They're here. I want them right here. And he would get into your, he'd get in your head about stuff. Um, and the only time I remember him ever really saying thank you was actually after the loss to the Patriots in year two in the AFC championship game. So that's uh, that's a glimpse of Tom. But, wow. So guys that I play with respect Tom Coffey. Yeah. Right. It doesn't mean that they enjoyed playing for him necessarily in the atmosphere, but it got results. Now, whether that kind of coaching gets results today, that's debatable. You know, Bill Belichick seems to do just fine or did. I mean, maybe that was Brady related. I don't know. Uh, the, 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 play, the, play, the players I've spoken to, um, they they said that looking back, they can see uh, his mentality now, how, how it did work. And the, the success, really, how the Jags started off with such a rush. Mm-hmm. I mean, to a brand new franchise and second year, Already in the champion um, in the championship, you know the playoffs. Um, right. Just amazing what 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 he managed to do. Who um who stood out for you while you played at the Jags as a player? Well, obviously, you know, in terms of my line mates, um, you know, Tony Vaselli was extremely good. Um, you know, he did. We we had a scary moment in you know his rookie year because of training camp. He had a knee injury. So I don't think he actually um, – I forget when he actually entered into to starting for us or playing for us. Uh, but event, once he did, I mean, the rest is history. I mean, he's, you know, one of the greatest in the games. And Anthony Munoz, who they claim to be the greatest tackle, says actually Tony is. Um, and, then, you know, another thing people don't realize is that Brunel, again, that was a standout for me. And all these guys are good friends uh, of mine till this day. Um you know, Mark took a job up in Detroit you know, as a quarterback coach, but he still has his family here. And, you know, Tony's here. I, you know, and, uh, but, you know, Mark was a left handed quarterback. So his blind side is the right side, not the left side that Tony was protecting. <laughs> so Leon Searcy, who's back in town now, and um, he, you know, at the time he was the highest paid tackle in the NFL, five years, $17 million deal, which doesn't sound like a lot today, but it was then. Um, but you know, he was, he, he really, he had an amazing punch, you know, on his pass protection. And, um, so there's a lot of guys, obviously Jimmy Smith, Keenan McCardle, uh, you you know, um, a lot of guys, I mean, Jeff Lagerman, we, you know, that played here, just, it was, it it was neat, um, seeing all of us come together and like, you know, and make it to the AFC championship in our second year. And then, not too long after that, I was already with the Bears, but then they obviously play in the, uh, the AFC championship game against the Titans. And they, you know, unfortunately, they lost three games that year, and all three of them came to the Titans. And th- the best chance that they probably had to get to the Super Bowl at that, in their history was at that point, because you have a home, you're home for the AFC championship. And the fact that uh, the Titans beat them, I'm still, it's still a sore spot for a lot of people. That's why we hate the Titans. Yeah. <laughs> so second to, to that question, why do you think we haven't got um, a player in the Hall of Fame with all the talent that we've had over the years? 
Well, I think, you know, the people make the argument against Tony, uh, it's twofold. For one, they say, well, he didn't play long enough, which, I mean, what do you got to do, play 15 years or 10 or 15? When usually people at the end of their careers, they're declining. They're not, you know, peaking. I mean, he obviously peaked and was the best in the game. Um, And, you know, I think, too, people, again, you know, the stigma of Jacksonville being a smaller market. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm hearing and hearing and hearing that Tony's going to get in next year. So, um, and, and then, you know, Jimmy Smith needs to be a part of that conversation. And so does Fred Taylor um, based on numbers. From um, from the time I've spoken to, um, I've said to Jimmy Smith, I've, I've spoken to him. He should be definitely in the Hall of Fame. The, the numbers he's got are insane. Uh, same with Tony. Uh, Fred Taylor again, and then uh, Morris Jones-Drew. Just incredible, incredible players. But like you said, it just seems like Jacksonville gets forgotten about when when you've got the likes of the Steelers and Green Bay Packers and these big teams that have been there for the the whole of the NFL. Um, Jacksonville gets forgotten about, which is a shame. Yeah, this is true. But we got our brothers across the pond that are pulling for us. <laughs> we have. Um, during your time there, um, did you was there a um, a locker room joker, and did you uh, do you have stories? Yeah, I well, I was one who would definitely participate in pranks. Um, so there was a lot of pranking going on. You know, the NFL locker room at that point in time was killer be killed. Literally, meaning if you weren't, if you didn't have quick, snappy comebacks, you were going to get eaten alive, right? That's just the way it is. It's a bunch of guys in the locker room or watching film. Film, watching film's brutal too. Um, but you, you, the, you know, one of the things that you know we like to do, we put, you know, you ever, are you familiar with Ben Gay? I don't even know if Ben Gay is around anymore. It's that that cream you put on that heats heats up the muscles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we would take Ben Gay and we would place it in people's chin straps. <laughs> put it on their ear back thing and so or you know if you really wanted to get vicious you put it in somebody's jock strap um and there was uh, somebody would take uh blue dye but it was in powder form and they would put it in the individual socks unbeknownst to that person well when you go out and you sweat it activates the powder to dye and so the guy's got you know purple blue feet in the shower you know so, little things like that. Brilliant is that one. <laughs> uh, when um, I spoke to Josh Scobie, he mentioned that um, the tight end Kyle Brady, um, he was the locker room uh, joker. He used to walk around um, the locker room in his jock strap um, with a cigarette in his mouth. And he'd get away with with murder there. Just the things he used to do. Uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's so funny listening to some of these stories. Yeah. So Kyle, Kyle Brady and I, we we played at Penn State together. We actually roomed together for a year. So he's a good friend of mine. He too is here in Jacksonville. Yes, he had, and I wasn't here at the time, but I've heard all the stories. Um, he had his alter ego that was yeah, called the alter ego, yeah, Mango, <laughs> Mango, and Mango was very. <laughs> Mango was very flamboyant, to say the least. And I'll leave it at that. 
Um, who was your um, the toughest player you you played against and impressed you the most? Um, you know, when I being you know, I mentioned playing against John Randall. So you know, during my era as an interior lineman. The, peop- the the defensive lineman, the three techniques, if you will, that um, created the most angst or fear was a lot of them were in the NFC um, Central. And that was obviously John Randall in, in Minnesota. You did have Reggie White um, with the Packers, although he was more of an end, but he would come down and play over. He would play three technique at times. Um, and then you had Warren Sapp in Tampa because they were a part of the, the NFC Central at the time, if I remember correctly, because we had to play them twice a year as the Bears. And then a lot of people forget um, Eric Swan, who was a defensive tackle for the Phoenix Cardinals, who didn't – I don't know if he – he didn't play college football or he was he – was, he was a number one draft choice, and he had been playing with a semi-professional team called the Bay State Titans. So those are some of the guys that come to mind that – you'd really be concerned about <laughs> during the week when you watch the film and watch what they do to other players. And you're like, ah. and you know, it's funny as an offensive lineman, let's say you may have 80 tops, 90 plays in a game, right? That's, that's a lot of offensive plays. Um, and when you watch film the next day and you, you could have gotten, let's say you had 80 plays and you had one bad play where you gave up a sack, it would be like drudgery watching that film, knowing that play is going to come up where you got, you got beat. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's funny to think back on that. I mean, you could have all these good plays, but, and then for linemen, that's all your, I mean, that's what people know you for, right? Yeah. They, when things are going good, nobody talks about you. It's only when you give up a sack or miss a block or something like that. Unsung heroes is what they call us. Worth the weight in gold. Thank you. Yeah, Offensive linemen are some of the finest people on the planet. I can't believe, taking away from what I've got back to your second, Dylan, in this off-season, the the amount of offensive linemen who got released from teams and didn't get re-signed seem to have been the most free agents, offensive linemen, I think, for a long time this year in the off-season. Yeah, and, you know, another thing that I've noticed with offensive line play, in my opinion, it's kind of uh, it regressed, if you will. And I think a lot of that has to do with, like I mentioned earlier in, the, in the, the podcast, is, you know, linemen take time to develop both physically. Um, and you need a lot of that hitting. And, you know, when I played, there was a lot of hitting. I mean, in training camps even in mini camps and stuff like that, it was, it, it was, it was pretty intense. And, and now with the NFLPA where they've reduced some of that or a lot, I mean, it's a different world. Um, I think linemen lack development. You don't necessarily have the big names like you did, like with a Tony Baselli or Zeus from the, you know, the, 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 the Baltimore Ravens. And, um, and I, I noticed there's, it's not so much movement off the ball. It's kind of, you kind of stay in front of your guy and move down the line with them. Whereas we were trying to get movement on those three techniques <laughs> and get up on those linebackers and, and make holes. Thanks, man. Yeah, back over to you now, Dylan, if you've still got a few bits. Um, growing up and pre-college days, um, who did you have as um, a player you looked up to? 
Yeah, so I mentioned the you know the Steelers, and of course when I was younger, I, I, I you know I wasn't necessarily a lineman, so I wasn't necessarily looking up to linemen growing up. Um, you know, more of like a Lynn Swan who was a receiver for the Steelers, or the linebacking crew, Jack Ham, Jack Lambert, or Mean Joe Green as a defensive tackle, and you know Terry Bradshaw. Um, you know, then there was Tony uh, Dorsett from the you know the Cowboys. I mean, the list the list goes on and on. I mean, there were some really great players from that from those days. But I was really, like I said, one of my dreams was to play for the Steelers, which, I, I, which actually came true. You, you may not know it through the, um, you know, Wikipedia or whatever, but in 2000, um, after I was finished with the Bears, again I was a, a free agent, and um, I get a call from the Steelers. Because in training camp, and I knew they were calling probably because they just needed me to fill a void because they had lost some guys in training camp. Uh, Dermani Dawson got injured. I think two of their centers uh, got injured. So they brought me in, and I was six, four or five weeks. So I achieved the dream of playing for the Steelers, um, which was which was cool. Again, I made it to the last cut, which four guys, and Coach Cower, who I really liked, he was like, Hunt, you've done well for us. Well, wouldn't hesitate to call you back if we need you. But, you know, the interesting thing about that was the last game that I actually played in the NFL was with the Steelers against the Washington Redskins, who I started with. So it's almost like divine providence where God was saying, full circle, you're done. And that was pretty much, that, that was it. Um, Definitely excellent that you got to do your Penn State and Pittsburgh Steelers, yeah. which was your dream, and following on from, obviously, your tradition. You're correct. Yes. Dylan, what else you got for me? Sorry. sorry. <laughs> the little name down in the corner says Mary, so I don't <laughs> It's my wife's account. All right. <laughs> I won't get away with anything here. <laughs> um, going to the end of your career, you were talking that um, what was it like um, – adjusting to retirement from obviously playing for most of your life college and then NFL and then what did you have a plan for something after playing yeah so I have a little bit of a unique story um and you know Mark Brunell that obviously you know came to our team from the Packers he was a part of an athletic ministry called Champions for Christ that a lot of us got involved in and then even post-career was involved in. So I was in a ministerial capacity from like 2000 to 2008 before I entered into what we call, I guess, the private sector, whatever. So that for me, it made it probably a little bit easier than some guys just, you know, because it's almost, it, and this may be a little off topic, but it, it, it I'll, I'll, re, I'll bring it back full circle. You know, there was a recent article, I think it was a Sports Illustrated article or interview done with Trevor Lawrence. And Trevor made the point that he, he doesn't want football to be the thing that identifies who he is as a person. He too is a man of faith, but that same faith demands that you be the best at whatever your hands find to do. Um, so, you know, for me, my identity wasn't just being an NFL football player. So for me, when I retired, it wasn't as hard for me to let go of. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm extremely proud of, of having done that. And it's a, it's a very um, special thing to do because I mean, think about it. 
I mean, there's what 1500 guys, any, any given year that play in the NFL and you got a population of 350 million. So this many people play in the NFL. I mean, so it's rarefied air and it obviously is in many respects def- defined who I am and, and people are interested in that story. And it, it, it even benefits me in my current role. So, you know, I didn't make millions of dollars, so I'm still working guys. Uh, and I work for waste management, which is the largest um, company of its kind in the world. And, but that platform still serves me well to this day in my capacity in, in sales, if you will. Wow. I may, have been, little, I may have been a little off, off topic. Sorry. I go on no. every now and again. No, 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 right. no. Cause it's only a small percentage what actually make it through every year. Yeah. Cause there's all the people who don't get, all the college players who don't get drafted. Some get looked at, but they still don't make the cut. So it's the hard decisions what to do from there. So it is an elite amount of people who get through. So even we, we've discussed it before, many shows before, whether you play 100 games or you play five, you've still made that elite group of players right. in that sport and profession. Yeah, the average, you know, people don't realize this, but the average NFL career is just under three years. So it's a lot of in and out. Here today, gone tomorrow. That's why people call it not for long. Not for yeah. long. Gosh. Yeah. That's yeah. correct. Not for long. Let's see back to Richard. All right. Thank you. <laughs> uh, very interested, Greg, in the uh, where the nickname the Mangler came from. Yes. Okay. Great story. It has nothing to do with football, unfortunately. <laughs> I'd like to think I'm a Mangler as an offensive lineman, but. So, like I said, I was one of the first guys to move into the city, the first guy. And we had two radio personalities called Lex and Terry, kind of like a Howard Stern, if you will, but not as edgy as Stern, you know, obviously being in the South uh, South Market. And I started calling into their show. And then when they found out I was a Jaguar, well, then they started having me come into the studio and be on their show with them. And one day they were giving away movie tickets to the movie called The Mangler, which was based on the, the horror novel, um, you know, the, the Mangler. So I remember I took their radio engineer and I picked him up and I stuck his head through, you know, like those office tiles. <laughs> and they go, wow, you, you kind of look like a Mangler and it stuck. And they, they, they called me the Mangler, they, they nicknamed me the Mangler. Well, everybody listened to the show. So then everybody knew I was, and then they had this thing, have, you know, go out on a date with the mangler. And um, my, even my locker plate above my locker said mangler 66, believe it or not. And to this day, to this day, people, that's, they call me that. That's that's crazy. Yeah. It's kind of cool. So going full circle to where we are today, Greg, obviously Jacksonville, Drafted a load, got to the AFC game with a Pats a few years back, and it seems to have been on rebuild mode again. A lot of all the high players went out rebuilding, starting over again with Trevor Lawrence this year. What do you think, what are the hopes, obviously from yourself, but gauging from the community currently in Jacksonville? What are the hopes? Because obviously, you look at the stats. Trevor Lawrence has never lost a regular season game. It's potentially it's going to ha- it potentially is going to happen this year. But it looks like he's the player who's got the strength to bounce back from it anyway, from how he's built as a player and how he's like not just football, all his other beliefs. So 
yeah. I was just trying to gauge the reaction of what Jacksonville are expecting this season. Well, in one respect, I can I can speak for myself, which I think is probably indicative of how a lot of the fans feel. Um, my level of excitement hasn't been like this since we were in the first decade of the team. And I had to kind of warm up to the idea of Urban Meyer. I mean, obviously, I was familiar with Urban Meyer and all the success that he had in college. And um, but just as I've watched him lead in whether it be press conferences or you know the draft you can just tell that he really has a good command of what he wants to do in in inspiring other people to buy in so we, we like to use the word buy-in um so I, I'm, I'm i'm pleased now with the urban meyer pick and then obviously trevor lawrence um, he does. He does check all the boxes. I would think the only box that's not checked right now is he's got to put on a little more girth. He really does. I mean, he probably should be two, 230, 235. Um, and maybe he's lost some girth because of not being able to necessarily work out with after post-surgery. Um, but there's a, there's a great deal of ex- excitement in this city. And, you know, we, you, if you're one in 15, you can't expect to go, you know, nine and seven the next year. I, for me, I think if you won six or seven games this year, it would be a positive step forward. Um, and I really think, not that you asked this, but when I watch the offensive line, I think our, our tackles, you know, Cam Robinson and Jawan Taylor, they didn't play as well as they could last year. And they almost took a step back. And maybe that's because you're on a one in 15 team and, you know, there's not so much a, a care, but, you know, you always got to think that's, that's your resume. That's your body of work. That's so because they've proven in previous years that they can play better than that. And it's going to be critical that those guys play well, because you don't have to look any further than the Super Bowl. The, um, the Chiefs had two backup tackles, right tackle and left tackle, and Mahomes was running for his life. And yeah. as great as he is, and he made some crazy throws, but eventually they, they lost the game. Um, so the line there is critical, but we, you know, some of the additions we've made through the draft, through free agency, um, I, clearly we should be better than one in 15. Um, and to see, I think, like, again, Trevor Lawrence is the right man for the job. He's got his running buddy from. Yes. As well. Yeah. Now it's interesting because, you know, I'd always heard his name pronounced Travis ETN, but apparently <laughs> it, it, apparently when he got to Clemson, it was just easier for everybody to say ETN. I think it's because he's from Louisiana and it, it may have some Haitian background. It's it may be pronounced Etienne, Etienne, not ETN. ETN sounds like a sports game, but I'd like that pick too because there's instant instant chemistry between him and Trevor, right? And so that's a that's a a, a known person to him, which will help in the locker room. Um, you know, Tim Tebow, I don't know if they've actually signed him or not. They have, Brandon, yeah. That's a, that's they a have. long shot. Um, but one thing I know about Tim Tebow, he's always going to get an A for effort. And I think he would be a good addition to the locker room atmosphere, assuming he makes the team. Um, Coach knows him well, doesn't he? So it's a good, even like I say, yeah. it doesn't make a team, he's going to bring that spirit, what Maya brings from college. Yeah, I'm still, I'm still, I, I love Wayne and Dolores Weaver, who were the original owners, but I, I still think as an owner, when Tebow was coming out of college, that they should have drafted him. Um, 
you know, like the Broncos did. And because they're, they're, the fanfare for Tim Tebow in Florida or here in Jacksonville is huge. I mean, you would have had increased ticket sales, jersey purchases, and you may still see some of that simply because it's Tim Tebow. So I, I don't see there being a negative. Who knows if he can play tight end or not. We'll see. Yeah, I saw Paul the other day. I can't remember I'd seen it. And it was seeing who would sell more jerseys, Lawrence or Tebow. And I no, think Tebow was winning. <laughs> well, yeah, you never know. It, it could be close. Yeah, this is excellent. Well, have you got, if you've got anything else, Dylan? Or um, you... Just the last question. Obviously, you've spoken about the now and the future of the, the Jaguars. Um how do you feel about the future of the, the stadium in the area? Because the the failed um, development that's going to go around there. Um, yeah, do you think it's going to put Shad, Shad off, off staying? Yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. I haven't really dove into the it, it too much. I know what we were trying to accomplish in our lot J, um, you know, to – do something kind of special there. I guess the deal though is a little shady. I don't know. I don't know enough about it, but, um, and I guess there, there may be talk of relocating the stadium somewhere, or I mean, have tearing that one down and building a new one, which is crazy because when I got to the, the, you know, the team, it was a new stadium other than maybe one upper deck that was left from the old stadium. They tore everything down and then, you know, rebuilt it. But now it's well, how many years old? 25. Um, now it's probably one of the older stadiums in NFL. So it's all about the arms race and uh, <laughs> producing nice things. You imagine they'd build another swimming pool with the move, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> He's building one on his soccer stadium in Fulham. I don't think it's got the same appeal, though, the swimming pool in Fulham yeah. to no. Jacksonville. No. <laughs> yeah, that, that swimming pool area is uh, interesting. I like to say it's kind of like ancient Rome up there. You know, <laughs> I don't even think people, sometimes I don't even know if people are watching the game <laughs> that are in that area. <laughs> They're doing lamps. A lot, of, lot, of, lot, of distractions, <laughs> lot of distractions. Yeah. Well, I would like to say on behalf of the first time snapcast, Greg and Dylan, for joining yeah, me same. tonight. Yes. It's been a pleasure to have you on board, Greg. and Hopefully sometime I get to speak to you again and discuss how Jacksonville have done through the season. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's been my pleasure uh, to be on. And again, like I said at the beginning, um, I just have a deep admiration for the fan um, in general. It could be fans of soccer, but fans of, of sporting events are really what make those, what make those uh, games great. So uh, thank you to our Jaguar fans over there in um, England or even in Europe as a whole. No, thank you very much, Greg, for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.